Welcome to Bible study. It's good to have you with us again, and it's great to be able to look into the book of Acts as we search for the truth and for the good news from this book. We are um, halfway through, and as we mentioned last week, moving a little bit to a different uh, direction after uh, so many amazing things happening uh, in this uh, book at the beginning with um, Peter and Paul and all the other good uh, people and leaders in the early church. And um, last week we just talked about the first uh, missionary trip of uh, Paul and Barnabas. Today we are going to talk something different, a little bit different, uh, which you may be interested to find out. But I will let that uh, being presented by uh, our um, facilitator today, which I would like to welcome right now. Helen, thank you for coming with us and thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, Nick. And Will, thank you for being with us again. A pleasure again. Thank you. Alija, welcome back. Yes. After a couple of weeks, we miss you. Thank you. Good to be here again. Now, we know more comments. Uh, I would like to just pass it straight to Helen. Helen, take us through to this wonderful Bible study. Great. Well, hello, listener. Just before we start, I thought we'd have a quick summary of last week's study. It was a great one where we looked at Paul's first incredible missionary journey. So I thought maybe we could share, panel, what are some of the lessons that we learnt from our study last week. So we learnt about the forgiveness of sin and um, freedom from guilt and... Um, through Christ that we, we can be forgiven and we can have the open door to come to Him. Fantastic, including you and me, huh? Yes, correct. Terrific. Thanks, Richard. Uh, I think that you, it's a wonder that uh, with all of these signs and wonders and mirac miracles happening, that uh, you'd think that everybody would be convinced, and yet they turn uh, on those miracle um, performers, uh, righteous people, and uh, turn against God. It's it's almost incredible. So what do we learn from that, Will? I've always wondered why right in the, in the shadow of uh, great movements on the top of Mount Sinai, for example, uh, when the mountain is thundering with Moses and, uh, of course, uh, God being on the top of the mountain, how the people can make an image and start worshipping. <laughs> you know, you, it, signs and wonders don't seem to turn the heart. And I don't think that we could today base our faith on things that we see. It's an experience that we have with the Lord that strengthens our Christian experience. Mm, I think we have to be careful not to just look at the children of Israel and point a finger because, you know, I, I, we do the same, don't we? We yeah. ask God to help us in different ways or he gives us a blessing. And how many of us remember to, say, to thank him or to follow through on what we promise? Sometimes we don't. Is there any other lessons that we can learn from? Yes, thank you, Lisa. Yes, we learned last week about Paul and um, other disciples, Peter, uh, doing miracles. And I was thinking that also that sometimes I want to see miracles in, in our lives. But the problem is that we don't need to spend time and energy wishing for to see miracles. We just need to sow the seeds of God news on the best ground you can find and in the best way you can and uh, leave it for the convincing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes. and, and I would like to point out also another thing that um, we are to walk into the footsteps of Jesus based on, as Will mentioned, on a daily 
based relationship with God rather than on ecstasy, you know, like uh, we are just uh, moved by the emotions or mm. by the uh, feelings which we, you know, and we have that case when people who are so happy to see Paul and Barnabas and they even regarded them as gods, mm -hmm. but they turn so badly against them when they uh, uh, try to stop them, say, hang on, guys, we are people like you, but we have a message to mm -hmm. share with you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying we need to be very deeply rooted in an everyday relationship with God rather than just when we go to church. Absolutely, Nick. During Absolutely. the weekend or mm. when we have a meeting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a gathering together. Now, mm -hmm. this is a daily based relationship. Mm. I think that's an important point too. Just in reference back, Lucia, to what you said about miracles, we actually are walking miracles, aren't we? If you think about it, we don't have to tell our, our lungs what to do with the breath that comes in or our heart to keep pumping. We we actually fearfully and wonderfully made. So it's it's a miracle really when you think yes. about it, isn't it? And but we think of miracles as huge big things. Mm. And not to get discouraged if we don't see yeah. any results because uh, this could be uh, Satan's uh, opportunity to discourage yes. us. So we have to also to be committed. We don't need to, mm. to turn back, you yeah. know, to go mm. forward for uh, God's mission. Yeah. True, true. Well, this week we're actually studying Acts 15. I found this an interesting study. It's a all about the Gentile, who's a non-Jew, and it's the problem that they were, they were having. There was a group there, there was a sect that came along and complained about these people. And we're going to look at that today. The problem became critical and the church had to find a solution. We're going to learn what that solution was too. And since the beginning of sin, believers and unbelievers alike have struggled with working through differences, getting along with other people's point of view. But you know, even a general reading of Acts reveals the misunderstandings, the miscommunication, frustration, lack of cohesiveness, disunity among the church members and the leadership of this fledgling group of believers. How did they handle their differences? How did the members of this small group of 120 grow through the challenges and the differences of opinion and continue to advance the work of the gospel so powerfully? And what can we learn from the early church that will aid us today in dealing with the conflict with the church and with each other? So let's go and see what the problem was back then. But just before we do, Will, I'm going to ask, would you have prayer for us, please? Loving Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can learn from the lives of others in the scriptures to pattern our lives accordingly, but that we have the great example of Jesus, uh, that we might uh, follow his disposition and his characteristics and love him with all of our hearts. Help us to that end. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Will. We're going to start off with um, Acts 15, 1 to 5. This um, actually summarizes what the main problem was on which Acts 15 is based. And the first five verses perhaps summarizes it well. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that, Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so here we say, we see that um, a certain segment of the church believes that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved, you cannot be part of the church of God. And this is what the apostles have to confront. So that was really came clear, didn't it, Will? Verse 1 and verse 5. What did they actually question? What were their words? They say that uh, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. Legalism. And it's interesting the word uh, in that custom because uh, then uh, it's one thing to follow customs and to follow commandments. Uh, now, we may need time to debate that thing because uh, we are going to learn later on uh, that many things which um, God advise his people, even though they are not part of the Ten Commandments, to put it this way, they are still valid. But in regard to the circumcision, we are going to, to talk today about our faith in God. Is our faith in God based also on circumcision because Abraham believed in God. We're coming to that. And <laughs> before the circumcision, mm -hmm. he was considered righteous with God. Instead of focusing on faith in the sacrifice of Christ for salvation, these Jewish Christians allowed side issues to set, take center stage. Um, I um, was reading a quote the other day, and I think one of you have got it as well. Yes, Lisha, you've got it? Great. Thank you. The Jewish Christians living within sight of the temple naturally allowed their minds to revert to the peculiar privileges of the Jews as a nation. When they saw the Christian church departing from the ceremonies and traditions of Judaism and perceived that the peculiar sacredness with which the Jews' customs had been invested would soon be lost in the light of the new faith Many grew indignant with Paul and as the one who had in a large measure caused this change. Wow, yeah. I think that kind of sums it up fairly well, doesn't it? But what does Paul actually say about these people? We can see this in Galatians 1, 6 and 7. Interesting text. Has someone got that for us, please? Galatians 1, 6 and 7. Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's not speaking very positively about them, is he, Will? No, these Judaizers were stirring, making trouble among the people, insisting that before you could be called a Christian, before you could be saved, you had to be circumcised. So in other words, uh, salvation was dependent on circumcision. 
Yes. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this false doctrine soon began to cause controversy among the believers and in the process bringing to light suppressed feelings of pride and bigotry which had heretofore remained beneath the surface. Interesting. The controversy over circumcision eventually swelled to crisis proportions and it brought the Antioch church to a standstill forcing Paul and Barnabas to eventually travel to Jerusalem to resolve it. Could somebody tell me, please, about circumcision? Was it a human institution? No, actually it was God's institutions because we can read in Genesis uh, chapter 17, mm -hmm. starting with verse 10, 14. Here it says that, uh, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So at that time, oh. God wanted uh, for his people to have a sign in their flesh that they are his people. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. But was that um, covenant you just sp spoke about, or the blessings of the covenant, was that restricted to born Israelites only? I think that... Um that we can kind of understand the Judaizers um, argument because they'd been trained to know that uh, you you need to be to be part of God, God's people you have to be circumcised and if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 12 verses 43 to 49 um, regarding the Passover the regulations regarding the Passover it sounds pretty definitive to me says and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron this is the ordinance of the Passover no foreigner shall eat it but every man's servant who is bought for money when you have circumcised him then he may eat it a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it in one house it shall be eaten you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So the Lord wanted to include them in the uh, Passover as long as they were all circumcised. Now the Judaizers say to be a Christian or be God's people you need to insist on the circumcision. Well, thank you for that. Um, Will, that was pretty clear, wasn't it? When you, when you think about it, the blessings of the covenant were not restricted to born Israelites. 
but were extended to any slave or sojourning stranger who wished to experience it, as long as he were to be circumcised. And after circumcision, the stranger would have the same status before God as the born Israelite. It said he shall be a native of the land. So circumcision, therefore, was indispensable for a male to be a full member of God's covenant community. And because Jesus was the um, Messiah of Israel, it seemed natural that the Judaizers would insist that no Gentile could benefit it from his salvation without first becoming a Jew. So I guess this helps us to understand where these Judaizers were coming from. But tell me, does being a member of God's covenant community guarantee salvation? No. No? No. Well, we're all pretty... Definitely. Nick, you didn't say no. (laughs) You disagree? (laughs) No, I don't disagree. It's uh, it's just that I'm thinking that many people will um, consider that if they are part of a group, they they, they have uh, the assurance of uh, being right with God, which is not true. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things in the Jewish mind particularly for a long time, considering, you know, all the Gentiles being um, cut off, if you like, from uh, God's favor. Uh, But uh, because we learned just a couple of weeks ago about how Peter, how strongly Peter uh, opposed God when uh, he had that dream, you know, with... uh, with those uh, unclean uh, creatures, you know, and God invited him to cut and eat, and he said, no way. Now God was talking about something else there, that Mm. he wants to open the door for the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles. And Peter understood that, and he Mm. moved on from his tradition and from his understanding. No, it was nothing, Peter didn't start to eat unclean food from that date on. But in this case, I believe, again, circumcision is more than just an act in flesh, you know, just something in, in flesh. Circumcision is something beyond the point. Uh, for example, Jesus gave us another covenant, if you like, and he said at the Last Supper, and he instituted there the communion. We can see this uh, a replacement, if you like, yeah. from the circumcision. And he said... I will give you this, and every time you'll do this, you'll prove that you are my disciples or my followers. Circumcision was really, it was a sign we spoke about before, but it was a sign of obedience too, wasn't it? And trust in God. But tell me, I have a question. If being in the true church does not guarantee salvation, what's the advantage of being a part of that true church? Tell me. It's like you are a log in the fire. You know, when you have lots of logs in the wood fire, they like take fire from the other one, you know, and they keep the flame keeps them up. If you put only one log, that log doesn't have enough success to warm up and also to keep in fire. So it could burn out fairly quickly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's just something about being part of a fellowship of like believers. You know, Paul himself later said, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, There is just something to encourage and strengthen one another that you find when you mix with fellow Christians. To isolate yourself for whatever reason uh, sometimes makes you grow cold. That's so true, Will. Thank you. Yes, Nick. And I'd like to add another thing, and I'd like to compare this with, um, with another great question people ask, they will say, uh, is the law valid? Should we keep the law to be saved? 
and will strongly say, no, we are not saved by the keeping of the law. But because we are saved, we are going to keep the law. Now, that's what I will, I will apply with the gathering and being part of the church. Some people will say, okay, if I'm part of that church, I may have assurance of salvation. Because you are saved, because you have a relationship with Jesus, with God, then you are part of his church. Then you come into the church just because you exercise your faith. Would it be good if we could check what the Bible actually says, the words of the Bible? So, Will, could you read for me Romans 4, 9 to 11? Yes, here is a beautiful summary of how Abraham was justified before circumcision. It says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Here we find that um, Abraham was was declared righteous and was justified even while he was uncircumcised. Circumcision comes later. And then God here in this text includes uncircumcised people as uh, his people. That's an amazing text, actually. Thank you, Will. And um, so he was really saved by faith before, wasn't he? Yes. The bottom line. What does the Bible show was Paul's understanding of circumstances, Will? I think you've got it also. Romans 3. Romans 3 verse 30 says, Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So here we're including both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, God accepting them both. This is how Paul actually accepted um, or believed um, it to be. Lisha, I think Paul also made a statement in Galatians, Galatians 3.28. Can you share that with us, please? Yes, and it says, in, it says there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. And uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. If we're saying that salvation has always been by faith, then imposing circumcision on believing Gentiles as a means of salvation was to distort the gospel truth. It was a denial, if you like, of the universal character of salvation. Colossians 3.11 is also a great text, and I've got another one here too, if someone can look up Titus 2.11. Will, have you got Colossians 3.11? Yes, it says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Don't you feel like saying amen? Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderfully inclusive here. Absolutely. It's yeah. not so definitive that uh, you can only you only have to be a circumcised uh, narrow minority to be able to accept Christ into your life. It's good news. Reminds me of John 3:16 where it says um, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him and that whosoever listener is you and me we the whosoever okay someone got titus 2 11 thank you Lucia. yes i really love this text i was reading this this week and i said oh i really want to apply this text to me so it says for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men so it's so touching that yes. everyone has access to the love of God and Thank to goodness eternity. Thank it says all, doesn't it? It doesn't all. say some, to it says all. all. Yes. Mm. The real problem for the Jewish Christians was not whether Gentiles could be saved, but whether Gentiles had to adhere to the law of Moses. And in their eyes, the test of following these laws was circumcision. So was this Paul and Barnabas' opinion also? No, we've just heard that um, Paul says that neither circumcision or circumcision is important to be accepted by God. Okay, so the law cannot save only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Listener, can a person be saved? Yeah. Nick, you want to say yeah, something? I want to say something here because probably we haven't gave enough details uh, in regard to this discussion because why then Paul and Barnabas and some other leaders will oppose such a thing which in the Bible was uh, uh, very important and for the Jewish culture and for the people. In my opinion, and um, we can prove this also with the Bible, that Paul was standing up for this issue not just because uh, he had different opinions, but because he could see that the Jewish people would use anything from their tradition in favor of opposing this new movement of following Jesus Christ because you, as you know they rejected Jesus and he said Jesus said to them I came to my people and they received me not now Paul is he's standing for what's most important in yeah. knowing Jesus and following him rather than use some of your heritage if you like yeah. to oppose this new movement this new direction Will, you have something? Yes, the heritage and the traditions is so strong that uh, this is not the first time we have confrontation in this regard. If you think back uh, just quickly to John chapter 9, um, you recall the man that was, uh, was born blind and uh, was healed by Jesus. Mm. The blind man is confronted by the Pharisees and uh, he really at first doesn't know how to answer so they approach his parents and his parents are so afraid of this powerful movement or the traditions that they answer we know that this is our son and that he was born blind but by what means he now sees we not we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know he is of age ask him but notice the bible says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, that's Jesus, was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. How powerful the tradition 
to shift Jesus to one side and his grace to follow just what you'd been taught by culture and by tradition. Wow, fear is a powerful motivator, isn't it? Mm. We've also got to remember, in, in coming back to what Nick was saying, that they had already witnessed Gentiles that God had accepted by showing that they had the Holy Spirit. So there was that evidence there as well. And tradition, tradition. Could there be some Pharisee in each of us? Panel, what do you think? Yes, yeah, sometimes, yes. If we, we, if we disconnect from the power of God... Satan takes control. So mm -hmm. this is the problem. We have to stay connected into the power of God permanently. And we have to watch to be awake permanently because Satan, he looks for every little opportunity to, de to distort us and to, to catch us. Yes. So, so true. We can get locked in, can't we? Tunnel vision, yeah. if you like. Um, I recall years ago, um, there was dissension in a church overseas where I happened to be at the time uh, because a man had written a book or a tract uh, entitled The Hair or the Hat and the strong conflict there because nobody, he believed, no women should come into church without wearing a hat. Now, he was quoting some uh, cultural uh, some things out of the New Testament, but to push people aside because of uh, because of their dress shows that it's possible that we could be very narrow and follow traditions to the extent that we uh, we elbow people out of the church. And and that uh, will just add um, a little bit on that one because that was a conditional thing, you know. Yes. Con you condition the salvation but if somebody wants to wear something in, s in a sign of their commitment or whatever you like to say to of God, of course we we are not going to say, no you don't want to exactly. have anything on your head you exactly. see, but the context is important yes. when you condition things with certain things I will, I will just say something here is circumcision right now, I mean is that forbidden? No I mean, I anyone can be circumcised. experience circumcision if, uh, if they uh, choose to do that. Mm. Some but people actually prefer, some parents actually prefer to circumcise the male child and they connect it to health reasons. And who's going to stand in their way if they believe that? Of course, with laws being the laws of today, um, they, there's, there's, there's an indication that children can actually um, sue their parents one day for for body damage. <laughs> it becomes complex. Interesting. Okay. We've got to also acknowledge that sometimes culture comes into to this side. Yes. Um, and, you know, Paul said, you know, he went in amongst the Romans, he became a Roman, and a Jew, a Jew. And, and we acknowledge that. For example, I remember in Papua New Guinea, one island would not allow, um, when our group went over in the plane, they would not allow one of the guys to get off the plane because he had a beard. And they just thought that that was disrespectful to God and they wouldn't have a bar of it. Now, did that beard stop him from being saved or anybody else? No. Mm. But they respected the culture of the land. Okay, let's move on. The conflict we saw in Acts uh, 15 verse 2. How did they propose to resolve this conflict? What did the church in Antioch do? Obviously, they, um, they wanted to 
seek uh, further advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and just before we go to that, Helen, I would like to mention that those people who came in Antioch and make a fuss of uh, this issue, which we're just talking about, circumcision, there were some people not necessarily sent by the people in, uh, in Jerusalem. But now Paul and Barnabas and the other leaders and people from Antioch decided to go back to Jerusalem to consult with all the apostles to see what they should do in this regard. But I want to stress out that thing, that some people can come among God's people with their own agenda, with their own interests, Mm -hmm. with their own views. And sometimes they can be very uh, successful because they could be very good speakers, you know, uh, mm. they, they can have arguments, which sometimes if we are not deeply you know, embedded, if you like, in the Word of God, we can be easily sidetracked. Yes, that's true, Nick. That's true. I, I believe that um, the Bible, and I might be wrong here, but I thought it said that Paul and Barnabas and certain others were chosen to go. And my question then was, why yes. was Paul and Barnabas chosen? What, what, what was so special about Paul and Barnabas that they were chosen to go? By that time, they were established as, uh, as key figures in the early church. And um, the miracles and um, the clear response of God or the clear inspiration of God to these people being fooled with the Holy Spirit did give them credibility mm. they had actually worked successfully with the Gentiles hadn't they yes they had first-hand experience and, yes, uh, and another thing is that uh, Paul and Barnabas these were the two people who argued the point with those people who came from Jerusalem and uh, they were entitled to represent this conflict Mm-hmm. So there was really no better representatives, wasn't there? Okay, so has someone got Galatians 2 too, please? Let's just see what that has to say. Yes, I have. Thank it you. It says, Bishop. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Okay, so Paul declared that he went to Jerusalem by revelation, which means what, Lydia? I think he had a, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to do that. So this is the revelation. The Holy so he Spirit, was guided. He was yes. guided. Yes, he and was he had impressed. confidence in the Holy Spirit. Didn't Correct. He? Yes. Fantastic. So, but I just want you to notice for a moment the contrast here between the attitude of the part of the churches, and we were to have a look at it in Phoenicia and Samaria, and as they were travelling. Where the news of the conversion of the Gentiles was received continually with gladness and great joy, compare that with the narrowness and the bitterness of the Pharisees in the church at Jerusalem. They were earnest supporters of the ritual law, and there was a Judaizing party that sought to speak on behalf of it. And here they were in Jerusalem, where they came together to consider this matter. Verse 2 also mentioned that Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with those who believed circumcision was necessary for salvation. I found that interesting. So they had like this um, continual debate going on and then they came together in uh, the council. Okay, are there lessons here for us today just in what we've done so far? Are there lessons? We can make, we can hear a thousand voices each giving his own agenda and trying to encourage others or 
convince others that he is right or wrong, but others are wrong. Um, I think the wisdom here is is that consultation, gathering all the believers together, as we have in churches today to discuss matter matters, is uh, an absolute. Um, there's wisdom in that, to pool the opinions and the reasoning, and uh, compare notes with notes. Uh, we must remember, though, that uh, in Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Humility and true conversion are key in uh, engaging in healthy conflict within the church. So true, Will. Thank you. Nick, you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, I was just going to also compare with... Um, even with the times we live in, we live uh, in a period when two types of um, representation uh, are exercised. For example, we know that the church uh, is, some of the churches are representative churches, like uh, organized if, if, to representation, and some of the churches are to authoritative mm. representation. Mm. And if I'm not sure if I'm going to mention or not uh, the church, but for example, the Roman church, it's an authoritative representation, yes. which everything what comes from above there, it's law. You do what you said you're told to do. But from a representative uh, authority is when you come together and you consider the issue and you open the Bible and you see where are we wrong or are we wrong or do we need to consider this or not. And this is a very wise decision by the uh, people of God, by Paul and Barnabas. And to go back to Jerusalem where was the center, you know, of the uh, new, this new movement, even though in Antioch was the place where for the first time people were called Christians. Mm -hmm. I mean, followers of Jesus. Why? Because they were so in fire, if you like, so yeah. in love with God. And for what they were hearing that the gospel is preached now and the right to be saved, you know, like through Jesus Christ, mm. it's among them too. Yes. And that's an amazing mm. thing. How can you just ignore that thing and be very rigid and very ritualistic in your approach? I think that was a great, great uh, decision by God's people for mm -hmm. that time. Mm, thanks, Nick. Well, let's go on to the next few verses in Acts 15, 7 to 11. They give us a short precy of the debate. And the account that had been handed down is doubtless just a mere outline of what actually happened because we're not told anything concerning the opening of this assembly or how the discussion was begun, but we are certainly told of the speeches of four individuals, mainly Paul, Barnabas, Peter and James. So the first to stand up was Peter. So let's hear his speech. Somebody please read... Acts 15, 7 to 11. And when there had been much dispute, dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers 
nor we are able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Well, if you notice in that um, panel, his speech claims nothing for himself. It doesn't even quote the scriptures of the Old Testament, but it sim he simply repeats in a concise shape the story of conversion of Je Cornelius, points out God puts no difference between Jew and Gentile, suggests that if God had put no difference between them, why should man dare to do so and put a yoke? And then he ends with proclaiming the great doctrine of grace that men, whether Jew or Gentiles, are saved through faith in Christ alone, which purifies their hearts and lives. Well... Lydia, you're about to share with us, I think. Mm -hmm. Peter's response during the Jerusalem Council is extremely revealing. He puts almost no focus on circumcision itself, but instead demonstrates how God was already at work in the lives of uncircumcised Gentiles. Rather than requiring the act of circumcision to accept the Gentiles and work powerfully in their lives, God purified their hearts by faith, as Peter points out in Acts chapter 15 with verse 9. Thus, the work of circumcision was not a critical element that they should be concerned about. In fact, one could derive that being circumcised thereafter would actually be an attempt to add personal merit by a personal action, an idea that circumcision itself was originally established to correct. But Peter's focus was on mission and mm -hmm. the work of God in furthering the gospel that was something that all could agree with and rally around. This focus spoke to a passion that should be within all followers of Christ, a passion to let others know about the transforming and redeeming power of God. Well, thank you, Lucia, for sharing that with us. Um, tell me, how did the multitudes react from his speech? It's pretty concise in verse 12 of Acts 15. Then all the multitude kept silent mm. and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they were willing to just accept now that God was doing a great work even among the Gentiles and um, most of them would agree that circumcision wouldn't be uh, a prerequisite. Okay, well after Paul and Barnabas had spoken, the next speaker after them was James. What solution, panel, to the Gentile problem did James propose? In fact, Will, I think you might have it in Acts 15, 13 to 21. James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has uh, had throughout many generations those who preached him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Well, thank you, Will.
Leisure, you've got something to share with us. James' main purpose was to demonstrate that God had already provided for Gentiles to join, in a sense, a reconstituted people of God, and thus they could be incorporated into Israel. Uh, because of this, this decision was that no further restrictions should be imposed on Gentile converts other than those that normally would be required from foreigners who wished to live in the land of Israel. Thank you, Lucia. So James' judgment was that Gentile believers did not have to be circumcised, but they should stay away from what? I think you mentioned in that text, Will, stay away from what? Well, there were the restrictions regarding um, the um, food offered to idols and um, things strangled. Uh, that's uh, where it had not, uh, the blood was not drained. And from drinking and eating blood, all of the principles from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14. And, and sexual um, immorality. Sexual immorality is Thank the Thank you. One, yes. That was a common part of um, idol worship, wasn't it? Okay. Can I ask a question here? I'm not sure. Maybe this will be a bit um, sidetracking, but uh, in this uh, council, they um, haven't mentioned anything about other important things. You know, for example, Christians today will say, you see, the only commandment, if you like, I mean, what the, the council were advising was in regard to these things. Then Sabbath doesn't need to be kept anymore. Uh, other things, and so on and so on. Was that the case? Why was James and the uh, apostles referring only to these few things? Do you think it could be the things that they mentioned were pertaining to paganism? And by the way, the Sabbath commandment came in even um, before the Jews. Correct. It was in place. Yeah. So I believe that these things that they mentioned was because of the idol worship and they were very well known in these cities to be worshipping idols and the paganism. In fact, I think um, Lydia's got a paragraph regarding that that she was sharing. Would yes. you share with us, please? In the context of Leviticus, uh, chapter 18, verse 30, uh, these prohibitions mean the renunciation of paganism. Any foreigner who wished to live in Israel had to abdicate those pagan practices to which he or she had grown accustomed. Likewise, any believing Gentile who wished to join the church was required to take a firm stand against paganism. I think that actually answers your question, um, Nick, because it was pagan. The Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandments, was not pagan. Is that clear? Yes, Great. correct. Okay. I think so, a lot of those uh, commands or a lot of those regulations were um, pre-Mosaic or were around far before Moses and circumcision. I mean, the Sabbath was there long before yes. him. Mm. And um, they are not the Sabbath in itself is not uh, intrinsically ceremonial. And uh, the following also is the differentiation between clean and unclean food. In Genesis chapter 7, those um, regulations were given long before the circumcision um, institution. So God doesn't change his mind on clean and unclean foods after the 
Gentiles are accepted into the church. Those principles are eternal. Right, we nearly have to wind up. So let's look at the outcome of the council, the Jerusalem council. What was that outcome? They agreed. Great. Um, the first measure was to write a letter to the Gentile believers in order to inform them of what they been, of what had been decided. The letter written in the name of the apostle and elders of Jerusalem was an official document that reflected the ascendancy of the Jerusalem church, so certainly because of the apostles' leadership over the other Christian communities. Written in uh, uh, AD 49, which is the, the most probable date of the council, this letter is one of the earliest Christian documents we have. Uh, the Jerusalem church also decided to appoint two delegates, Judas, Barsabbas, and Silas, to accompany Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. The, their assignment was to carry the letter and confirm its content. Okay, Will, thank you, Lydia. Will, just, uh, could you read something from Acts 15 to tell us a little bit about the letter? Um, Acts 15, 22-29 says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men from among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and to keep the law to um, whom we gave no such commandment it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. What a great letter. Absolutely great letter. Thank you, Will. And Acts 15.31, have you got that there? Um, Alicia, Acts yes. 15, 31. It says the people read uh, read the letter uh, and uh, were glad for its encouraging message. Fantastic. So that's how they reacted, wasn't it? Mm. With joy? Yes, joy. Okay, it brought great joy. Beautifully written. It appears, appeals to the Holy Spirit's guidance, explains what is to be done as the readers already knew it. So here's a lesson for us. It is helpful when believers learn to be careful not only in what they say, but also in how they say it. We may be correct in our content, but we can lose our audience by our tone of voice or by our attitude. Well, something remarkable took place at the Jerusalem Council. And Lydia, what was that? Actually, ingrained theological, biblical and sociological principles and practices that had been reinforced for millennia were now about to officially shift. God had been progressively 
altering his people's view of the Gentile world from the time of Jesus' ministry up through the experiences of Peter's and Paul's witness of the Spirit's baptism of Gentiles. It could be said that the Jerusalem Council is the climatic miracle of how God changes and continues to change the heart of a people. Amen to that. And he still does that today. Yes. But very quickly, can we wrap this up by seeing what we could learn from the churches in Antioch and Jerusalem as to how to resolve conflicts wisely? Is there a couple of lessons here that we can sum up? Well, disagreements in the church should never distract us from pursuing Christ and uh, fulfilling the gospel commission. Amen. Um, we should... Um, we should stick to what we believe and to the fellowship, even though there will be amongst us people that will think differently uh, to us. And um, I think that uh, problems should be confronted, um, and all sides of an argument should uh, be given a fair hearing, mm -hmm. as it was at the Jerusalem Council. Another thing I'd like to mention is that um, uh, the church is the body of Jesus Christ, and uh, Jesus gave uh, instructions to the disciples and we see here an organized body not an, an chaotic uh, uh, group of people who will just uh, do whatever they uh, think is right because we facing even today we the big movement of, of non-denominational uh, people you know uh, organization is important if it's under the guidance of guidance God, of God. Yeah. And we believe in that, and we are. Doesn't mean that if we are organized, we are uh, uh, institutionalized. Mm, good point, Nick. So really, the discussion should be held in the presence of leaders who are spiritually mature and trustworthy to make wise decisions. And then, of course, when when it's reached a decision, we need to abide by these decisions, don't we? Yes. And there was one other lesson that uh, that I felt was here. It said we need to allow God's word to remedy the situation. In Acts 15, both Peter and James stand up and reason from God's word, which is the rule of authority. Whatever the issue is at hand is to be determined, determined to study God's word and follow the inspired counsel no matter the cost. So just in summarizing, panel, you have something to finish off with? Yes, Leisure. I have a text which comes in my mind mm -hmm. with, in regard to circumcision that says that God wants his people to be circumcised in their own heart. Bless you. I can't Absolutely. remember exactly where this text is, mm -hmm. is written in the Bible, but what does it mean? It means God wants a people who has their hearts only for God, serving Him uh, committedly. Mm -hmm. So this yeah. is the the the, um, the outcome of this lesson for ma myself. Fantastic, thank you, Lisha. Nick, have you got something you want to finish up with? From the beginning, um, I was quite um, challenged by this uh, Bible study today because it's not easy when you talk about. Uh, differences of opinion among God's people and uh, even though we see that there were people um, interfering with God's plan and we learn about that there were some groups of people coming from Jerusalem and they made it clear that we haven't sent them we haven't consent with them with what they were sharing now that's for me a taken lesson for today. Okay. There will be people 
coming with all sorts of understanding and views in regard to um, to the word of God, to the message. But we need to really see if that stays in the context of the teachings of Jesus Christ as he commanded us. Go mm -hmm. to the end of the world and teach everything what I have commanded you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Will, did you have a short summary? I think that we should never forget that the Holy Spirit is central in all of our decisions and mm -hmm. guiding. Uh, should we confront or problems confront us, I think the Holy Spirit is a sure stay for us to make the right decisions in life. Thank you. Very, very important. And just in closing, throughout the Bible and his prophets, God has shown us very simply what his law requires for us. It's when humans try to hold or add or change the law to bring distinction to their religion or themselves that God's law takes on human form and causes contention. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is told to always keep his eye on the light, and in this way he will avoid falling into the snares that beset the path. Likewise, while we may have questions or healthy debates on spiritual matters, we must always keep our eye fixed on Christ and let the things of this world fall away as we follow his directions for his church. We thank you for listening, and please join us again next time. We're going to discuss another important part of um, Paul's journey, his second missionary tour. Thank you. Thank you, Helen, again. Great uh, discussion, and uh, we like to mention to our listeners that um, if they would like to be part of some of these open discussions, we invite them to visit our um, churches all around Australia. The Seventh-day Adventist churches will have uh, Bible studies uh, such as this every uh, Saturday morning, from usually from 9.30, but some churches may start at 11 o'clock, the Bible study and the main service at uh, 10 o'clock. Find around your, uh, your place, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church, and you are uh, very welcome to visit us. Until next time, may God bless you.